Good morning. Uh, well, yes, there was a moment when I thought I might not be here this morning, but uh, thank you that everybody was patient with me. It's been one of those mornings, you know you had those as, as life, don't we? Sometimes life hits you and you just have to roll with it, and it's just been uh, one of those for us. Um, but uh, I think it's just good to be really honest sometimes, isn't it? And just say, you know, been a bit of a tough start, but the goodness of God is worth coming together for, isn't it? You know, and there are times when you just think, oh, do you know, I just, I don't know if I want to come today. I don't know if I want to do it. But sometimes the goodness of God is worth coming for. And, you know, what we have seen on our TV screens over the last week, we need to know the goodness of God, don't we? We need to trust in the goodness of God. We need to have that faithfulness that he is steadfast. He is true. Whatever we're feeling, whatever we're thinking, uh, whatever goes through our minds, we need that trust in the Lord. So that's where I'm going to start today. Um, my passage is a, uh, one that you will know and you will recognize. It's the Good Samaritan. Um, and I'm starting from uh, Luke chapter 10, verse 25, if you want to follow it. And I'm going to be reading it from the ESV. Okay. Verse 25. And behold, a liar stood up to put him to the test. That's Jesus. Saying, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, what is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you have answered this correctly. Do this, and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But... A Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring oil and wine, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbour to the man who fell among robbers? He said, The man who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, You go and do likewise. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, as we come to this passage, Lord, one that many of us will have heard a number of times, Lord, will you breathe your spirit on it? Lord, will you speak to us? 
in February 2022. Lord, will you speak to us here at Beacon through this passage? Lord Jesus, we want it freshened to us. Lord, we want to be challenged. Lord, we want to know what you've got planned for our lives. And we just want to be open to what you're saying this morning. Lord, we thank you for the privilege of meeting together here. And we come here because we want to know you better, Lord Jesus. Amen. So uh, as I'm uh, going through this, I'm going to quote from a number of people who may well be sitting here because uh, my growth group this term is about reading the Bible. So I set them a challenge last weekend. I said, you read this passage and tell me what you think God is saying through it. So I'm going to quote from a number of people. Can I just say, if you're one of those who gave me some wonderful advice from my uh, growth group, and I don't quote from you, it's not that your words weren't wonderful. I absolutely appreciate them, but I've just integrated it all because if I wrote everything, if I read everything everybody said, that would be all I would do. They were absolutely brilliant in giving me one or two things for it. I was uh, out for a run about three weeks ago, and uh, I know, you're a bit surprised by that as it is, but I was, I was, and I have to be honest, my old self, when I was a teenager, would not have called it a run. They would call it kind of hobbling along. But it was, in my mind, a run. So there we go. Uh, so I was out for a run uh, about three weeks ago. Uh, and as I was running, I just saw something ahead that looked odd. If you know a place, you know when things look different, don't you? There was a car at a strange angle in the road. It had its flashing lights on. There are a few people next to it. And I thought, I don't know what's happening, but it doesn't look right. And so as I ran on, hobbled on, whatever you want to call it, went slowly towards what was happening. I noticed there were two, I'll call them young ladies, I don't want to judge their age, but two young ladies um, who were obviously dealing with some sort of incident. So as I jogged past, I thought, I've got to say something. I said, well, I said, would you like me to stop and help? Hoping they would say, no, I'm fine. But of course, they didn't. They said, yes, please. I thought, okay. Well, nine o'clock at night, slightly raining, I'll stop. Uh, and the situation I found myself in was that these two ladies trying to deal with the person that I hadn't seen, who was actually lying in the mud that night, somebody who obviously was struggling with life, um, uh, somebody who didn't want to be picked up, they didn't want to be dealt with, they just wanted to sleep there in the mud. And so these two ladies were dealing with it, um, uh, I didn't know anybody, so I was just trying to work out what was happening. I was standing there trying to be the big man. Do you know what it is? Trying to show, that's all right, there's somebody in charge here. Don't worry about it. Actually, I hadn't really a clue of what's going on, because one of them uh, was a GP. She knew exactly what to do. She, she'd picked up the phone. She was phoning the right people, doing the right thing. So I stayed there. I checked that I thought everything was happening all right. I checked that there were one or two other people were coming who knew a little bit more about what was going on than I did. And then they said to me, oh, you don't need to wait anymore. So I went off. And it made me think, do you know what? Maybe I should have been the person to deal with that. Or should I? Should I have been the person that was the big hero of the day? Should it have been me that said, oh, wait a minute, come on, I'm a Christian here, move out of the way, let me deal with this. Or should I have been the person who just did what they saw in front of them? And I think for those 
15 minutes that I was there, I gave reassurance. I helped them to deal with the situation that, as I said, they were dealing with brilliantly. But I just helped them and I show, could show the care and love that I had without getting absolutely frozen. Um, and I think that's what I need to do. Pete, commenting on those verses, Pete, sitting there, says this. Pete's worried now, what did he say? Uh, he said, I have the same challenge, commenting on what somebody else said. Making time to stop and actually see people, their needs. But I can also hold back because of fear of discomfort or social awkwardness. And it's true, isn't it? Sometimes when we see a situation, we're just not very sure about whether we should or shouldn't get involved, or about whether our timescales will allow us to get involved. Anyway, that's by way of introduction. I'm going to go through this passage. I'm going to look at it in uh, uh, three parts. I'm going to look at the test. I'm going to look at the idea of partiality, the idea um, of, uh, yeah, partiality. And the third one is the idea of compassion. Those are the three things I really felt God speaking to me about with this passage. So the test. Uh, last time I preached here, I was talking about reading the Bible. And I said, it's, all, it's important to look at the context, didn't I? Well, what's the context here? The context here was Jesus talking to a group of people mainly, who are mainly his disciples. But actually, the person who asked him the question, and it does say was the lawyer who was putting him to the test, I don't think we'd call him a follower of Jesus. It was somebody who was to there to test Jesus. He was not a disciple. Michael Wilcox, who's a commentator on this passage, says this, the lawyer asked about the way to life, not the way of life. He said, teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? We often think, don't we, that this passage here is about social action. It's about what we do as a Christian in response to the world that we live in. But actually, it's in response to somebody saying, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He was putting Jesus to the test. And Jesus answered him with a number of questions. Good way to answer people who are testing you, isn't it? A number of questions. Put them to the test. And a story. Always a good idea. I'll have a story for you at the end, but it'll take me a while to get there. Mel, who'll love me quoting her, I'm sure, said, It stood out to me that the lawyer who asked the, Jesus the question was testing him. In verse 25, not asking from a place of genuinely desiring to understand Jesus' teachings, and he gave the right answer, the lawyer. But where was his heart? What was this question about? Was it just about the test, or was there an element of what he wanted to know? Now, I'm really interested in the lawyer's answer, because he says this, and I want you to listen to these carefully, because I'm asking you all a question about it. He said this, um, in response to what was written in the law and how do you read it, the lawyer said this, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and, the neighbor, and your neighbor as yourself. 
So this is a simple question I'm going to ask you. Just a quick hands up one. Let's give you this week. How many of you have loved the Lord your God with all your heart? No, we're not there yet. All your heart, with all your soul, all your strength, all your mind, and your neighbour as yourself. Just some hands up, please. Now, come on. Let's have some hands up, please. Are you with me? Some hands, please. Strange thing to say, isn't it? Because it seems, just in this very quick survey that I've done here today, that even for those that know Jesus and follow him and live in the power of Jesus' name, don't feel that they've done that. So in a way, Jesus, by asking this question, was talking about the idea that obeying the law was impossible. So this lawyer, who knew all about the law, he'd studied it for all his life, there was an element that he realised that obeying God, that following those rules of the Mosaic law that he'd read with all his mind, strength, heart, and your neighbour as yourself, and the other one that I haven't mentioned, was impossible. So he was building this person up to see that he couldn't get there by himself, in his own strength, with his own determination, and his own discipline. And we, as Christians, I think, have agreed that we can't get there, can we? Even with Jesus' strength, even with the power of the Holy Spirit in us, there was setting up this standard that was so high, the lawyer could only sit there and go, I am never going to meet that Romans uh, 3 verse 20 says this, For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes the knowledge of sin. None of us will get there. And there's that real understanding there, isn't it? That we cannot attain to the standards that we would like, I would like in my own life, let alone the standards that God has set for us in terms of loving him with all our heart, all our strength, all our mind, and loving our neighbour as ourself. There's a real element here of setting it up for the need of the grace of God, for the need to know Jesus' salvation, for the need to know him in our life, empowering us and the grace of God when we get it wrong time after time after time. There was a huge amount there that he was saying to this lawyer. Michael Wilcox, again, says, the demands of the law are so extreme, everyone will fail. So the first part here, before we've even started the story of the Good Samaritan, is how difficult it is to meet up, not just even to our own standards, let alone to God's how much we appreciate the grace of God in our life that empowers us to live for him but also helps us to know what happens when we fail. Okay, so that's the first thing that I picked up. The next one was to do with partiality or discrimination or separation. This comes from Joe. Sorry, Joe, you'll have to smile. Here we go. The context of Jesus 
using a priest and a Levite and a Samaritan in his parable is also hugely significant. At the time, priests and Levites should have had a moral obligation to help the injured man, and yet they chose to ignore him. The Samaritan was seen as worthless by the Jewish community, yet Jesus uses him as the hero of this story and goes as far to say to the lawyer, go and do likewise. A lot of the the next couple of points come from just one verse, which is verse 33. But a Samaritan, a Samaritan, the one that was looked down on, not going to go into the history of the Samaritan race, but it's very clear there, isn't it? That they were the ones that were looked down on in society. They were the other. Very, very clear. And then we have the second part, which I'll come to in a minute, but, but a, Samar- a Samaritan, surely it wouldn't be him. Anyway, a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was. And when he saw him, he had compassion. So we have the Levite, we have the priest, the two religious leaders of the day who should have stopped in terms of their internal moral compass. But it was the Samaritan who actually did it. James 2 verse 1 says this, My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothes come into your assembly and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, if you pay attention to the one who wears fine clothing and say, you sit here in a good place, while you say to the poor man, you stand over there, sit at my feet. Have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Now, of course, this story was in response to the lawyer, wasn't it? But the lawyer wasn't the only one listening. It was the broader crowd. It was Jesus' disciples. And he was making a really clear point here, wasn't he? About discrimination, about partiality. A really clear point. And we all know, in our minds, there are times when we struggle personally with people who are different to us, don't we? And we think those who are like us would do the right thing and those who are not like us wouldn't. But this really flies in the face of this. This story was a real challenge to the prejudice of the day. It's interesting that um, as I studied this passage, one of the commentators said this, the expectation of the hearers was this. The Levite went there and he didn't help the person. The, um, The priest went and he didn't help the person. And then it was going to be the normal Jewish man. That's what they expected. Because of course the Jewish race would be the one to look after. But it wasn't. Jesus, if you like, built that anticipation and then said, the Samaritan. And that's what it would have been the challenge. Jane said this, I was struck by the idea of our neighbours, anyone of any race, creed or social background, and having mercy on others. I think we should allow this passage to challenge us and our 
opinions, our partiality, our hearts. Still on verse 33, though, I'm going to go to my third point. My third point is, again, in that verse. It says, but a Samaritan, as he journeyed, he came to where he was, and he saw him, and he had compassion. He had compassion. I wonder what that word means to you. When I first heard it, I thought, I'm sure I've heard that in different places in the Bible. Maybe if I look at that, I can get an idea of the biblical context of that word. I wonder if one or two of you can just have a think. Where have you heard that, that, that word compassion? The first place I found it was Mark 6, verse 34. This is the feeding of the 5,000. And it said, Jesus had compassion on the crowd when they were like a sheep without a shepherd. So it was an attitude. It was a heart attitude of Jesus at the time when he saw this mass of people out in front of him. Luke 15 verse 20 also uses the word compassion. This is the parable of the prodigal son. And you remember where it comes there. It says this, But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and he was filled with compassion for him. Filled with compassion. That's very much a picture for us, isn't it, of Father God, that he has that compassion for us. We can almost feel it, that when we've let him down, you have the compassion of God that comes in. You have the compassion of Jesus. So this is a godly characteristic, compassion, isn't it? It's a trait of Father God. Even though we can't touch God, we can't see him, it's actually one of those characteristics of him. He is a compassionate God, as well as many other things. He's a compassionate God. Um, Psalm 103, verse 13 says this, As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. And that kind of reinforces that, doesn't it? It's a godly trait. So we have this, this whole idea of compassion. And it's interesting, in the Old Testament, it's often a contrast to anger. Is anger asked and lasts a lifetime? Yes? And then you come in with this idea of compassion. It's often linked with the steadfast love of God, but his compassion. And so we have here... A godly trait of compassion shown by the Samaritan. And almost, you almost think, saying, why is Jesus saying this in any answer to the lawyer? But actually, of course, he's speaking to the crowd now, isn't he? He's talking about our hearts. Because it's not just that idea of prejudice or partiality or that we get busy or whatever. It's sometimes actually what's in our heart that we need to feel that compassion that godly trait. We need to allow God by the Holy Spirit to come through us and to make us more and more compassionate. Okay, so those are my the three elements that I found that I felt God was speaking. It was that idea of the test, of thinking about the lawyer, that idea of partiality, and here, that idea of compassion. And if anything struck out to me, it's that. And I'm going to come back to that at the end. But I did promise you a story. So here we go. Uh, this is one of the wonderful books I was bought at, for Christmas. 
It's uh, Where the Light Fell by Philip Yancey. Philip Yancey, one of my favourite Christian authors. Um, and this is his biography, uh, autobiography, of his early life. Um, as you can see there, it gives you the idea of him. I think that's him just about university time, because, of course, uh, at that time, you still needed a tie for university. So we're talking about the 60s and 70s when he was studying at university. Um, and I'm going to just read his story, because um, this passage comes up. Um, I need probably to give you a bit of background. He grew up in a... As, uh, with a family, with a, just a single parent, single mum, in the church, but in the south of the States in 60s and 70s, born in 1949, so you can work out from there. Um, and he was somebody that had to go to church all the time, but he certainly clashed with it, particularly as the, the church, you would say, had definite, definite racial prejudice. It was very, very much a racist church and had other strange elements to it, which challenges us. Just we talk, think about that. How does that work? What does it mean? But that's the way he came up. And he found himself being slightly cynical about everything, but he still went to Bible college. I don't know. I think if I was cynical about what I believed, I probably wouldn't go to Bible college. But he did, because that's what he did. So um, this is his, one of his stories at Bible college that I thought was worth reading. In late February of my sophomore year, Mr. H, who's one of his lecturers, gives an assignment to his class on hermeneutics. Write an essay about the time when God spoke to you through a passage in the Bible. I have no idea what to write, says Philip Yancey. To my knowledge, God has never spoken to me, let alone through the Bible. At times I've parroted the correct answers, I've prayed the right words, but always with the sense I've memorised the part for a performance. I can't distinguish the authentic from the fake. Mr H sets the essay due date for the following week, and I start reviewing my Sunday school past in order to contrive something acceptable. I'm trying to make something up, because he doesn't know what to do. A few days later, the university team... Don't know what team this is. It doesn't say, but it's, it's obviously, I would imagine, some sort of sports team. University team gathers for a prayer meeting. What else would you do? Bible college, I suppose you'd do that, wouldn't you? Gather before a match. Um, as we do every Wednesday, we follow a consistent pattern. Joe prays, Craig prays, Chris prays. Then we all pause politely, waiting for me. I never pray. And after a brief silence, we open our eyes and return to our dorm rooms. With the essay deadline looming, I join them grudgingly for the requisite meeting. Joe prays, Craig prays, Chris prays, and they wait the usual few seconds. To everyone's surprise, most of all my own, I begin to pray aloud. God, I say, and the room crackles with tension. A door slams down the hall, interrupting me. <clears throat> I start again. God, here we are. I'm supposed to be concerned about those 10,000 students at the university over there who are going to hell. Well, you know, I don't care if they all go to hell. If there is one, I don't care if I go to hell. Interesting prayer meeting. Um, I might as well be invoking witchcraft or offering child sacrifices. Even so, these are my friends and no one moves. My mouth goes dry. I swallow hard and continue. For some reason, I start talking about the parable of the Good Samaritan, which one of my classes um, 
had been about that I'd just been studying. We were supposed to feel the same concern for university students as the Samaritan felt for the blooded Jew lying in the ditch. I pray, I fail no such concern, I feel nothing. Then it happens. In the middle of my prayer, as I'm admitting to my lack of care for our designated targets of compassion, the parable comes to me in a new light. I have been visualising the scene as I speak. A swarthy Middle Eastern man, dressed in robes and a turban, bending over a dirty, blood-stained form in a ditch. Without warning, these two figures now morph on the internal screen of my mind. The Samaritan takes the face of Jesus, and the Jew, the pitiable victim of the highway robbery, takes on another face, one I recognise with a start as my own. In slow motion, I watch Jesus reach down with a moistened rag to clean my wound and staunch the, blood, the flow of blood. As he bends towards me, I see the wounded victim of a crime. I see myself, the wounded victim of a crime. I open my eyes and spit on him, full in the face. Just that. The image unnerves me. The apostate who doesn't believe in visions or in biblical parables. I'm rendered speechless. Abruptly, I stop praying, rise, and leave the room. And this passage goes on in terms of the story and becomes the passage where he actually gives his life to Jesus. But it's interesting, isn't it? He almost switches the whole thing around because he sees himself as the victim, as the person that has been robbed and injured. And the power of that story is that the way that it touches him in terms of compassion, when he was trying to give compassion to other people. And I'm not saying that's the right way of reading that story. I think you can hear the parable in so many ways, can't you? You can see God in it in so many ways. That's why it is so powerful. I noticed that with the impossibility of the law, I could be like the lawyer myself. I could be one who tries too hard to meet Jesus' standards. That could be me. I could be that at some times. I, sometimes I struggle to meet any of my own standards, let alone Jesus' standards. So I think it, it speaks to me in that way. I notice sometimes in my heart that idea of partiality, that I don't look at people all the same. I prefer spending time with people who are like me. And that isn't right, is it? We've got to rejoice in diversity. We've got to rejoice in people who are different and have different strengths and, and work in different ways. But I notice most about this passage. I notice that the Samaritan had compassion for the lost and the broken. And that he helped instantly in that moment and went out of his way. I notice that he brought the man to an inn. Not to his home, but he brought him to an inn. And he offered to pay a lot of money for his care. But I also noticed he didn't become a TikTok star from this. He didn't become the hero, did he? He didn't say, it's okay, I'm going to take over this. I've shown a lot of compassion. Everybody's going to know I'm going to go home. I'm going to tell everybody what I've done. He did what he saw in front of him and what he could do. He didn't have a saviour complex. He didn't make it part of his identity. 
he was just a Christian. In my mind, a Samaritan, yes. But for us, a Christian, serving in the way that he should do. He didn't destroy his family to look after this. He may not even have lost a day's work. Although I imagine he's probably a little bit tired the next day after looking after everything that happens. And I just wonder whether what God wants to do through this is just to touch our hearts in terms of compassion. Not necessarily for the things that we're seeing on our screen. Not necessarily for those things that we see in Russia and Ukraine. But actually for our communities of the people that we work with day and day. The people we brush, um, brush uh, with. I've been um, just so surprised this week of the number of people that I have seen um, particularly in a work situation, who just have abominable things going on in their, their life. I think that's the vaguest way of putting it, but you know what I mean, don't you? Those things in life that you just say, oh my word, I'm just surprised you're standing. And I think as Christians, we need to be those that have the compassion, have the heart of Jesus. Yeah? So would you stand with me just for a moment? And I'm going to just pray. I'm going to pray over all of us for that element of compassion. There may be many other things that God's spoken to you about, but I'd just like to pray this morning for that. Holy Spirit, we just invite you to come now, Lord. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, move amongst us. Lord, we thank you for the blessing the security we have in knowing you. Thank you that we know we don't have to meet up to a, a huge standard and always worry about failing because we have your grace in our hearts. We have you by your spirit. But we just pray, Holy Spirit, you'd come now. You would touch our hearts. Lord, you would change our hearts by the power of your spirit. Lord, I pray for a wave of compassion over us. A wave of compassion. Lord Jesus, we would be those who are compassionate in our daily lives, in our families, Lord. Because they are tough sometimes. Lord, I pray that we'd be compassionate in our workplaces, Lord. Lord, in our communities, those people we live next to. Lord, those that we know and we brush into day by day. Lord Jesus, will you give us your heart for them? Will you help us to see and not just walk past. Will you open our eyes, Lord Jesus, when to act, when to stop, when to pray, and when just to smile? Come, Lord. Come, Lord Jesus.